providers and doctors are humans. We forget. We, are, we have biases. We're hungry. We're tired. We're ready for this patient to leave our exam room so we too can go home. So we need to figure out how to remove some of that subjectivity. There are tools and ways that we can approach things so that each individual patient can get the objective care that she needs based on her situation or her specific problem. So I like to look at ways that we can deliver more objective care or at least give the providers the tools that they need to make sure they're covering everything. Health disparities in the United States are a pressing issue. We see gaps in health outcomes across all aspects of OBGYN care, for example. What role can the healthcare system have in reducing these health disparities? Dr. Denise Howard sat down with the Women's Health Cast in advance of delivering the keynote lecture, Our Greatest Challenge, Eliminating Healthcare Disparities, at the 2023 UW Women's Health and Health Equity Research Lecture and Symposium. Dr. Howard is Chief of Obstetrics and Gynecology at New York Presbyterian Brooklyn Methodist Hospital and Vice Chair in the Weill Cornell Medicine Department of OBGYN. We discussed what she views as common causes of disparities in healthcare, why she frames the conversation around inequities in healthcare settings, and some of the most promising innovations in healthcare that could help reduce disparities. From the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology, I'm Jackie Askins, and you're listening to the Women's Health Cast. I am very excited to welcome an extra special guest to the Women's Health Cast today. I am joined by Dr. Denise Howard. Dr. Howard is the Chief of Obstetrics and Gynecology at New York Presbyterian and Brooklyn. Brooklyn Methodist Hospital, as well as the Vice Chair of the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Weill Cornell Medicine. Thank you so much for being with me today. I am happy to be here. Um, You are here uh, joining us to present a keynote at our uh, Women's Health and Health Equity Research Lecture and Symposium tomorrow, and I'm looking forward to kind of picking your brain about your keynote presentation. Um, but before we jump into that, can you tell me a little bit about your day job, uh, what your specialty is, if you have um, particular areas of research and leadership that you work in? Yeah, happy to. So I've been in this new role for a little bit over a year, close to a year and a half. And I'm excited because um, Brooklyn represents an opportunity for us to deliver on health equity. Um, my typical interest is gynecology. Uh, I've worked in a lot of places and I've done a lot of things over the course of my career. And in coming to Brooklyn, I've decided to focus on cervical cancer prevention as one of my personal interests. Um, Cervical cancer is one of those things that should not happen. I say that it should be a never event. Unfortunately, women fall through the cracks in care and we continue to have cervical cancer cases. So I am focusing on the things that we can do in Brooklyn to um, eliminate cervical cancer. Uh, From a leadership perspective, there are so many opportunities for us to do a better job of delivering care. And so I put together a great leadership team, and we're focusing on just about every aspect of women's health, from obstetric safety to providing good cancer care uh, to addressing um, a number of issues that women have through the lifespan. Can you tell me a little bit about the path that brought you to a career in women's health and OBGYN? How did you end up in this field? So, you know, it's funny. Uh, it's actually pretty simple. I uh, decided 
probably when I was in middle school, that I was going to become a doctor and I was going to become an OBGYN. And I continued down that path and I never veered. And I think it was because I didn't necessarily think I had many other options. Um, And so when I was in medical school and I was exposed to other specialties, I considered them briefly, but I always went back to women's health. Uh, It's a happy specialty for the most part. Uh, and it is um, full of diverse things that you can do. It's not a boring job at all. And I think there's so many opportunities to make a difference. And so um, I started at about age 12, and I became an OBGYN just like I thought. Very nice. So as I mentioned, you are here to present the keynote tomorrow at the 2023 UW Women's Health and Health Equity Research Lecture and Symposium. Uh, your presentation title is Our Greatest Challenge, Eliminating Healthcare Disparities. Can you tell me a little bit about what you're going to cover in your presentation tomorrow? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I want to start with having everyone understand where we are as it relates to disparities in women's health. And there are some areas like uh, obstetric safety, uh, maternal mortality is increasing. There are a lot of disparities in outcomes from cancer to uh, uterine cancer, breast cancer, um, cervical cancer. And then if you're in any other specialty, there are disparities. Um, And so I want to highlight those areas. I will share some patient stories that I think resonate with people and then talk about my thoughts on how we can approach eliminating eliminating these disparities. Medicine's become really complex, and the model for care that existed when I finished my training um, continues, but we need to revision that. We need to revise and reimagine that model um, because I don't think we have the resources to deliver on what we're capable of with this current approach. So I'll talk about some of those ideas. Absolutely. Um, I have so many follow-up questions even just from that, but you mentioned outlining disparities across several aspects of women's health. I feel like um, in the conversation, often the focus is on maternal mortality, which is very crucial to address very wide disparities in our country. Um, And I'm curious if we see other areas of women's health also having kind of a, a big gap in outcomes, and you kind of mentioned a few. Yeah, we did. I think, you know, um, earlier you probably overheard a conversation I was having about um, taking care of a patient. Well, being in the department when a patient presented with an advanced stage cervical cancer. Uh, And to me, that's a system failure. And it's a system failure because we fail to deploy the tools that we have to prevent cancer, cervical cancer. Um, So cervical cancer is one area. Breast cancer is another area. Colon cancer, although it's not in women's health, is another area. Uterine cancer uh, is especially for women of color, black women. Um, And then I think when you start to think about all the other preventative things that we could do a better job of, um, the disparities are out there. I mean, you know, the more you look for them, the more you you see them. And so uh, every along the whole spectrum of taking care of women from when you are, you know, first start having your periods to when you're 75 years old, there is some element that we can do a better job of. A lot of it certainly is education or women understanding what their issues might be or what their issues might become. Um, 
the expectation is that healthcare providers and physicians provide this education, but the reality is in a short 15 or 30 minute visit, there's no way that we can uh, deliver all of the teaching and education and treatment that she needs. So again, we need to reimagine how we do that. One thing I thought was very interesting looking through your slides is the way you framed the dis- the way you framed it around healthcare disparities. Sometimes we talk about health disparities kind of in a I don't want to say a vacuum, but maybe devoid of some context. Mm-hmm. And I really liked that you framed it specifically around that like patient and care interaction where the gaps are in that space, especially coming from an academic department that feels like a space that's influenceable by the people who work here, by the people who work at your institution. It feels like it is. I might not be mm-hmm. fully right about that. But what? why did you decide to frame that conversation this way for your presentation? Well, I think you're right. It is influenceable. And I think that we need to think as individual providers and then maybe as health systems that we can make a difference. Um, that it's not just some vast problem that's insurmountable and that we can take steps, even if it's just one problem and one approach. Um, If we all collectively take these steps, we can make a difference. Uh, So we can influence those things. We, We have a say in how we take care of our patients. What do you feel like are some of the some of the causes of disparities in healthcare or some of these spaces where we have influence, where there are things that could be changed? Um, I think, I mean, it's complex, as you know. Um, But to make it simple, I think that um, the care that we deliver is too subjective. We're too dependent on a patient having a provider who remembers to cover everything that patient needs We're too dependent on assuming that that provider can cover everything that needs to be covered. That provider can be tired. They can be hungry. They can be burned out. They can be biased, right? They can uh, be um, not current on topics, right? So you're lucky if you have a doctor who covers everything that you need, but providers and doctors are humans. We forget. We we have biases. We're hungry. We're tired. We're ready for this patient to leave our exam room so we too can go home. So we need to figure out how to remove some of that subjectivity. There are tools and ways that we can approach things so that each individual patient can get the objective care that she needs based on her situation or her specific problem. So I like to look at ways that we can deliver more objective care, or at least give the providers the tools that they need to make sure they're covering everything. What kind of tools are you thinking about when you describe this? Yeah, it, it can be something as, I have a simple example, and then I have something a little bit more complex that I would love to deploy, uh, and I'm working on deploying, but it's going to take a team to do it. So something as simple as use of templates, electronic health record templates, right? Um, I find that for whatever problem that I see patients for, let's talk about abnormal uterine bleeding. 
When a patient comes to see me for abnormal uterine bleeding, I ask the same questions. I typically do the same test. I typically cover the same options. Where if you have a template that prompts you to ask all those questions, prompts you to think about whether these tests are needed, prompts you to think about whether these treatment options are right for her, then you could have a nurse practitioner or a PA help you with the initial evaluation. Same thing with a well woman exam. When women come in for their well woman exam, if she is 25 years old, there are certain things that are important. Sexually transmitted infection screening. Does she have the HPV vaccine? Does she need contraception, right? And if we are, is she ready to have a child? Um, is there a family history that makes us worry about some genetic mutation that we should screen her for now before she gets pregnant? But if we have a way to be prompted to cover all those things, then every 25-year-old who comes to our office gets the same care. Not because I remember to do this, but because I'm prompted. Right, same thing for a postmenopausal woman. So we've deployed that. We, we have a couple of standard templates for well woman exam so that the PAs, the nurse practitioner, the residents, the busy clinicians can at least have it in front of them to know, I need to remember to ask about colon cancer screening, right? Um, something more complex, when I think about surgery and the preparation for patients for surgery, um, and especially when you think about a protocol called enhanced recovery after surgery, um, there are things that the patient needs to know that she should do before surgery. It might be two weeks before surgery. It might be the night before surgery. Things that she needs to know immediately after surgery and in that recovery period. Traditionally, for either enhanced recovery after surgery or just surgery education, we expect the doctor to do it or a nurse. nurse. Nurses are very valuable, and most of the times we don't have enough nurses. So if you expect that that nurse will spend an hour talking to this patient about all her peri-op preparation that needs to happen, someone will get some great attention. A large amount of patients won't get any attention. And so there are platforms out there that you can deliver this timely, relevant education when the patient needs it, rather than a whole bag full of information and instructions that he or she might not read or she won't understand. So if she can get a message through some platform that says, Mrs. Smith, it's two weeks before your surgery, before your hysterectomy, you need to stop your Coumadin today and start your heparin in the morning. That's an example. Um, and so this is an objective way of delivering information so that every patient gets the information that she needs, taking the people out of it, the doctor, the nurses, or whoever has to call her to remember to remind her not to eat or drink after midnight or, you know. Yeah, that feels like um, a system that would both take stress off of healthcare teams, which would be excellent, um, provide more consistent care, like you've mentioned as well, consistency across all patients, um, and also a really valuable, I would find that valuable, I think, as a person. I know in a clinic, it's a lot to take in what I'm being told during a visit sometimes. And so having touch point reminders that are automated in some way that like will help me remember things and feel more prepared and a little more empowered heading into procedures too, I feel like. Right. And it's not a novel idea. It's not like I'm so brilliant that I came up with this. Um, 
people have been doing some forms of this, right? It's just not consistent and it's not standardized and it's not across. And I don't think um, we push it enough. And I don't think things like these are encouraged in our health systems. I think our focus, unfortunately, is on being productive, whatever being productive means, right? So I think um, when I talk about reimagining how we deliver health care, this is an example of that. We need innovations like this, innovative ideas to make sure that we can deliver the quality of care that our patients deserve. I feel like we're, this is maybe verging into an AI conversation. So, And so many industries right now are feeling out what kind of role um, machine learning and artificial intelligence might have within their fields. Um, what role do you possibly see AI playing in the future of healthcare and in helping us improve healthcare disparities? You know, that is a great segue because I think there are lots of opportunity for machine learning uh, to help us be better providers, to help prompt us. Um, and I haven't dug into it you know, as much, um, but when I dream, here's my vision. My vision is that a patient will walk into my office and she's already had an interaction with her electronic health record or her whatever chat bot buddy. And that person has said, based on your, that chat bot has said, based on your history, when you go see your provider, you should ask about HPV vaccine because I know you haven't received it. You have a family history. Um, you should ask about cystic fibrosis screening. Uh, you, it's time for your colonoscopy. Remind your doctor to refer you. Um, or, you know, you had this on your colonoscopy three years ago and it's time for you to have a repeat colonoscopy. So the augment, I mean, the machine learning can help us identify what a patient needs. And so when you come and sit in, fr sit in front of your provider, you don't spend so much time talking and interacting to try to figure out what you need. You know what you need. Now the conversation is about the details of that. Do you really want this HPV vaccine? What does it entail? Um, because 15 minutes and 30 minutes, it's a short period of time when you have to learn about your patient. The doctor has to make sure that he or she remembers that these are the things that this person probably need. And then discussing the pros and cons of doing that. So that's my ideal machine learning world for medicine. It would free up so much more time for the important conversations that like actually matter in the appointment and so much less of the history taking and box checking. Yes. I feel like so much of my visits are just clicking in and out of boxes in the EHR. It'd be great not to do that. Mm -hmm. Kind of in the same line, we've talked about your, your big dreams and big vision for what could be in the future. Um, is there anything going on right now that you feel like is really promising development or innovation that you think could help standardize care and improve our experience with healthcare disparities? Um, so I think there are a lot of things that I think about that I have purposely gotten involved with just based on my interest. Uh, one of the things is self-testing for HPV vaccine. So right now you go to a uh, gynecologist, you have a pap smear done, and the HPV co-testing happens at the time of a pap. Well, 
self-testing for HPV is something that can happen. We don't know how well it compares to the screening that happens when you collect a pap and you do HPV co-testing. So the NCI has a trial, a validation trial for self-testing, and my hospital is going to be one of the testing sites. So I imagine a world where once we prove that this is effective, the women can screen themselves for HPV. Um, that's one thing, which is really exciting. Uh, I think that we have this electronic health record that has so we have so many opportunities to do better. And I think about um, preeclampsia and one of the it's one of the top causes of death in the uh, you know post delivery to forty two weeks. And we know that aspirin can reduce the risk of um, severe preterm preeclampsia. Um, we know this and we tell our patients about it, but who remembers to tell their patient? And just because you tell a patient to take an aspirin, do they really take the aspirin? Um, so one of the things that I want to do uh, is use our electronic health record to develop a hard stop that forces people to do that assessment for uh, aspirin for preeclampsia and to see if patients are a candidate for aspirin, but then also work with some of our community-based organizations to develop um, teaching materials that our patients will um, listen to, that will resonate with them, uh, that will convince them that this is an important thing to do. Uh, and trying to convince someone to, first of all, as providers, we need to remember to talk about aspirin. And then we need to make sure that our patients are compliant with the aspirin because uh, we know it will prevent severe uh, preeclampsia and it might just save some lives. So that's another thing I'm working on. The education piece feels super crucial in that, too. I feel like that's a similar experience we've had here where um, maybe the counseling for aspirin is getting more consistent, but the uptake is not necessarily getting more consistent. And a huge part of it feels like maybe the the why of it wasn't adequately explained in a visit. And so it's sort of unclear, you know, why this recommendation was made. And Pati Patients are not convinced, right? We need to do a better job of convincing them, convincing them the value of it. I think um, medicine has changed so much and we have left a time when a, a patient will do exactly what her doctor told her to do just because her doctor told her to do it. Uh, we have a new generation. Uh, well, yeah, we have a new generation who they want to understand why. But you also have a population of African Americans who have always been distrustful of the health system for reasons, because there's this whole history of experimentation um, on blacks, uh, African Americans, descendants of slaves in the U.S. And so you have a population of women who need to understand why they're doing what they're doing. Otherwise, they're not going to be convinced and they're not going to be compliant. Dr. Howard, one final question. What do you think is the most important thing to know for OBGYN physicians and providers who want to eliminate disparities in their health systems? I think the most important thing is figuring out how to really connect with your patients. Right? It's that relationship that makes a difference. I think if your patients really feel like you care about them, then they will trust you and they will follow your advice. But developing that rapport and that trust, that's the challenge, right? Um, and I think patients can tell when you are sincere. And they can tell when you're just checking a box 
and they can tell when they are just a number. Um, and so uh, if you go into OBGYN, I think it's because you really care about women and you really want to make a difference in the lives of these women. Dr. Howard, thank you so much for joining me today on the Women's HealthCast. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. You can find a link to watch Dr. Howard's UW Women's Health and Health Equity Research Lecture and Symposium keynote in the episode description. The Women's HealthCast is a production of the UW SMPH Department of OBGYN. This episode was produced and engineered by Rob Garza. You can find the Women's HealthCast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find the UW Department of OBGYN on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under the handle at WISCOBGYN. Let us know how we're doing. Rate and review us in your podcast app and let us know what health issues you'd like to learn about at the link in our episode description. Thanks for listening.